Welcome to the OT Roundtable, Episode 6, Should Therapy Be Conducted Outdoors? The OT Roundtable is a podcast where we discuss a wide range of topics related to the field of occupational therapy. We're here to shed light on things that are happening within our profession and bring awareness to these topics through raw and honest conversations. So let's meet the Roundtable. I'm Brock Cook from Occupied Podcast and joining our conversation today, I've got Sarah from OT for Life. How are you doing, Sarah? Doing great. Excellent. I've also got Michelle from Incorporate Mindfulness. How's things, Michelle? Going good. There we go. Uh, and our panelist joining us today is Bradley Williams. How are you, Brad? Yeah, going well. Going well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So Brad's an OT. He's based in Adelaide, Australia. So yay for another Australian on the panel. Uh, he's got experience working with children's families and across not-for-profit government and private sectors. So a bit of everything in there. Today, we are basing this episode around an article that we, we found. It's an article from Chalkbeat. It's written by an OT, Lisa Raymond Tolan. Uh, it came out on the 27th of July. I'll throw the link for this article into the show notes if you want to have a read for yourself. Um, but the article, here's a, a basic overview of the article is as follows. It's titled, I'm an occupational therapist. Here's why students should be learning outdoors this fall. Uh, it highlighted her opinion that the coronavirus crisis was an opportunity to reimagine elementary school education and how it was delivered. Um, and a direct quote from the, the article looking at the benefits of why she thinks this is, learning outdoors gives us a chance to have children move more, improving their gross motor skills, strength, endurance, and coordination. Learning outdoors gives children a chance to learn through play, which is essential for appropriate child development. Learning outdoors offers sensory experiences to support improved self-regulation and opportunities to promote and expand executive functioning skills. A very wide range of benefits that she's she's highlighting there. Um, I think first off, uh, I'll throw to Brad. Brad, what were the, the main sort of things that you felt stood out in this article? Yeah, look, I think um, it's a really cool article and it's a really cool to hear more and more of this conversation happening. Um, I think she raised some really good points around um, the value of movement in just life generally, but for kids, the value of movement in learning about ourselves, our bodies, the world, and and I guess preparing for learning, but also um, doing learning whilst, you know, whilst moving and, and, and whilst being active has um, has huge value and, and obviously is a bit of a missed opportunity in the classroom where we're often um, seated at um, seated at desks. Um, and I think um, for lots of the kids that particularly I work with, typically I think um, school is uh, designed in a way that supports certain kids um, and doesn't support other kids with certain needs. Um, and as a result of going through that process, the kids with 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 different learning needs, different learning styles often come out of that thinking that they're stupid or they can't learn or maybe they don't have as much to offer to the world because of the way the school system um, is, is structured. Um, and so I think sort of bringing learning outside, and, and that's kind of what I've discovered in my work, by bringing some of these kids outside, they can get a kind of a, a different sense of themselves and different opportunities to, um, yeah, learn and, and discover about themselves and, and the world. So I think um, that was certainly one thing that, that stood out. I think the other thing which I loved, which it mentioned briefly in this article, and it's something that I'm, I think is, is so important, is they're actively learning about um, the communities that they live in. Um, and I think with the, inter- the, the internet age and, and kind of the kids from you know, nearly birth with access to internet and tablets, their their world is massive from the get go. Um, whereas uh, you know, I think, you know, I've got two little ones and when I think about them and their experience, you know, if I we back onto a creek and, 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 and sort of connecting them into those spaces and having that really strong, I guess, grounding and foundation and then kind of slowly expanding their world from there, um, yeah, I guess provides that foundation. Um, so that was another thing that I think was so important and there's a lot more talk around that in COVID around kind of that, 
uh, the value of local and being local and, and feeling connected. Um, um, so, yeah, they were certainly some of the things that stood out. And I, I think, yeah, I, I, some of the things that I kind of thought about when, when, when reading it and as I've thought about schooling is kind of, you know, what, what is school for? Um, there's kind of uh, a long history of, of school and where it started and, and um, um, it was really to kind of prepare people for factory jobs and I think um, school now I guess we really have to critically think about what it's for because you know we don't have factory jobs anymore we don't even know what the the work is um, the the, the jobs are going to be kind of at the end of kids starting 18 years later what that's going to be so um, yeah I think um, yeah one of the big things I think about is thinking about the measures of school and what are we what are we measuring? What are we aiming for? What are the, you know, and right now I think, I don't know what it's like in, in, in the U S and but right now our measures, uh, around this really kind of, uh, systematic testing. And as a result, that defines the way we go about the teaching and, 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 um, yeah, I, I, some of the things that I wonder, and this is not necessarily related to kind of the nature element of it, but, you know, I wonder about um, if we asked, if we, if our measures were kind of five or ten years after we finished school and we asked questions like how fulfilled are, uh, are you in work and are you in relationships and if they were our measures, how would that kind of inform school and how would that then inform kind of our world, I guess, versus mm. um, now. But, yeah, I think... Yeah, they were some of the things. That the last thing which I think stood out to me was around um, access to um, access to resources like good outdoor clothing when weather's bad, but also access to natural spaces. Um, it, I think it's important to consider. Um, you know, some communities don't have as much access, um, and how do you kind of make that equitable? And I think that's a really valid point. Yeah, I think I, I can definitely resonate with the what you were saying before, especially around the connecting to local. Because I think when I grew up, I I know this shocks many people, but I grew up before the internet, um, and I could tell you every tree and every creek and every bush path and everything in the small town that I grew up in, but I probably couldn't tell you anything about sort of where different countries were in relation to each other. I had no idea. I was very much that was my world, that little town. Um, it's interesting, uh, the access, I think the access that kids have to, you know, the internet, tablets, technology, that sort of thing. Do you think it's, I guess in a way, almost like too much information too soon that they're not developing? Like I wonder whether what you're saying about them connecting locally and by in teaching stuff outside it could hopefully do that a bit more they kind of develop a lot more of those uh soft skills to then take into the the wider world when they sort of i guess get a bit more old and able to manage it um whereas nowadays with technology it's just like boom here's the world take it do what you want with it and they don't often get taught the skills or anything like that to be able to manage it manage that much i know i struggle to manage that much information at once yeah. i i think for, for me brock thinking about those things and thinking about you know your your childhood and and i think you know the the sense of belonging and the sense of connection to the natural world and community um gives a grounding where kids have i guess hopefully develop a, a confidence and a, a knowing in themselves around um yeah, maybe what, what they can offer to the world. And, and I just, I, I sometimes think about, yeah, like you sort of said, the bombarding of that, you know, before you've really got a foundation can, I guess, be disorientating and, and I, um, yeah, make it tricky to kind of make sense of, sense of it all perhaps. Um, and again, it'd be interesting to see kind of uh, as research comes out, uh, over the years um as to yeah what we what we find and, and what we discover i think kind of sticking on the same te technology lens i think the other thing to consider like i know when i was growing up i was outside 
all day, every day. Like, no joke. I was always constantly outside. And I feel like nowadays, because of this technology boom, kids are spending so much more time. Well, A, because a lot of schools are now virtual, so they're in, in front of a screen. But video games, you know, iPads, some sort of tablets, phones, like there's all these things that are kind of keeping kids, I guess, more inside. And one of the things that I thought that was that really kind of stood out to me from the article was when they talked about reimagining or reinventing learning. And honestly, like, it's not even like reinventing it. It's just going back to the basics of learning. And instead of using all this like fancy bells and whistles, technology, smart boards and whatever, it's like using sticks and rocks to count and jumping to get from one area to the next. And so I thought it was an interesting aspect that they said it was reinventing it. And I'm like, it's really just going back to what we used to do before we got all these kind of fancy equipment and and fancy kind of tech stuff in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's kind of a tricky conversation because I guess we as this generation need to also kind of be in check around, you know, making decisions around it, not just being nostalgic and, and, and making sure that, but that, you know, I think, I think there is, you know, grounds in, in, in the research to, to talk about, you know, the, the skills that, and the value of, of, of being away from tech. Um, and I, I think there's a fear that, you know, if you're not around it, then, um, you know, you're going to be behind and, you, you know, then, then, um, and again, I think, it's in there. It's like, what are you, what are you kind of measuring? What's, um, you know, is it, are those the skills that are important or is it the skills around being able to kind of problem solve and, and, and know how to kind of, um, yeah, get past barriers and, and know how to learn how to learn. Um, yeah. So I, I can still remember, and this is clear as day in my mind, uh, one math lesson in like grade eight where, they were looking at, I think it was grade eight. Uh, they were looking at how to like, uh, it's like adding and subtracting like negative numbers and stuff. And they actually took us out onto the basketball court. And like we, as the number would like move along like a number line that was drawn in chalk, but actually that lesson, even now, like I don't want to say how long ago that was, but it was a long time ago. Like I can still remember that one lesson clear as day because that, sank into me so and I got that concept like that day like easy not a problem at all and I think partly because I was moving <laughs> for one and it was like oh this isn't the usual boring old classroom looking at math stuff written on a blackboard like you're actually part of it and engaged with the concept as opposed to just trying to take it in so I wonder whether it's partly because I think a lot of people would read that article and just look at, okay, it's like taking students from this classroom and just putting them outside and there it is. Whereas I feel like it's more so to do with reimagining how the content is delivered uh, using a, a different sort of environment. Like I, I wonder, because one thing I was thinking about is uh, I think it, it obviously gets quite cold down where you are, Brad, down in Adelaide. Um I don't know if it snows or not where you are. No, not normally. We actually, um, I was running a day of sessions and uh, we don't typically get snow, but we had had something overnight and, yeah, so that we did have some ice and some snow to play with, um, which was very rare and very cool. Um, but, yeah, yeah, occasionally. That's, that's the sort of thing I was thinking about. Like some places that might have more extreme weather, like I, I know, Sarah's on the east coast up north. I'm not sure if it gets, I'm sure it does get cold, but I don't know if it snows where you are, Michelle. Oh, yeah, for sure. With 2002 Winter Olympics, come on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The last Winter Olympics, it was all made with a machine anyway. So it's. I mean, we had to do some of that too, but yeah, we had a lot of snow. So, like, I'm wondering whether, like, there's those reimagined sort of delivery methods for actually teaching content could be done in say i don't know like schools have like a big hall as opposed to a classroom in areas that have that extreme weather conditions is it going to be the same like is the real benefit the benefit from the delivery methods or is it actually from being outside itself yeah for sure i think 
I think you tapped on a bunch of things. I think there's certainly, there's a lot of evidence around sort of this attention restoration theory around kind of just the act of being outside, um, supporting yeah, improved attention, improved well-being, and sort of some of those things that you kind of just get from being outside. But I think I think the learning styles thing is huge. I think, um, yeah, the, you know, for the kids that really do struggle in in an indoor environment, in, in in an environment which is closed and 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 relatively still, and you know, there are some kids that just thrive outside um, and. And um, yeah, require different learning styles, like you said, about you know visually and, and physically and experientially, kind of um, working through ideas and, and, and concepts. And I think the other thing which it did tap into in the article as well was around around play. Um, and I, I think there's heaps to be said around play and learning, and I guess it being you know self driven and and um, uh, I, I, I can't, there's an article, I can't remember exactly the numbers, but it sort of said when, when, it, when some learning is done around, around play and playfulness, like the, the speed at which it's kind of t- up, the uptake is, is very, very significant. Um, so I think, yeah, there's lots to be said for that. And I think I sort of tap a lot into, into the model of human occupation. I think that first section, um, so, I mean, Moho sort of explores identity and then sort of uh, capacity and performance. Um, and I think the identity piece is the piece I'm leaning on a lot and I think is uh, maybe a little bit missed out because I, I look at kind of those first few sections around kind of exploration and motivation and things like that. Um, and, I, um, yeah, I think from a really authentic place, I think sometimes the outdoors really supports those aspects of I guess being a child um and therefore um yeah changes their sense of self and who they are in an environment and and leads to you know better engagement and better learning I've been thinking about um what will come of this whole experience with COVID. And I think one of the things is it has made us more creative and like problem solvers of how are we going to solve this problem? But like we were speaking to, I think that technology has been that thing that's filled the gap for a lot of things. It's like, let's keep businesses running. We can just, uh, we have technology, we can do Zoom, which is really great because we get to do things like this. Um, I'm wondering what your guys' thoughts are on, like, I almost feel like I, I, I see the side of like, we should be thinking outside of the box and trying to do school outside and all that kind of stuff. And as an occupational therapist, I agree with that piece. And I think it's so cool what you do, Brad, but I can see on the other end, what, how people would say in like school administrators, they would say, well, um, doing stuff online is going to be safer. It's going to be, you know, more cost efficient because we're not going to have to build structures outside or, you know, we don't have to think outside the box on how to teach math because we can teach it on a computer and, you know, like we don't have to have physical things. We just have to have like a computer. And I think that that's kind of the sad direction that we're all heading is that that's, that's uh, technology fills all these gaps of what are not really gaps they're structural things that we need we need to learn with our hands and our body and um also like the different learners like you guys were talking about but like what do you guys think do you think more schools after this will go to more of like a just an online model i think that's kind of the fear um that we will kind of lose some of the the essence of the importance of occupation just to kind of taken a different direction i'm curious what you guys think because i think that there's probably a big argument that that on the other end it's a lot easier right we can see more kids we can um get their needs met in a different way that's one of my curious slash worries at the moment too because i know in australia they change some legislation temporarily to allow funding of Uh, things like telehealth and that kind of thing. And it was very much like at the time it was all done. You could justify it using occupation-based practice based on access and that kind of thing. But I think it was universally agreed that while the access was better, the quality 
of therapy or the quality of service that was able to be delivered via on like Zoom or whatever platform people were using wasn't nearly as good as hands-on. Um, but my concern is that the bean counters just look at it and go, oh, yeah, but you were able to see this many people and it was so easy, even if it is a subpar uh, service tile, like quality compared to in person. And I think the same, like similar to what you were saying, I, I do worry about whether or not um, schools, I know the universities are definitely looking at it and I worry that, you know, younger schools, primary schools, um, that kind of thing would do the same in that, oh, look, we were able to teach these students, you know, for this dollar amount as opposed to the students were performing this this amount because I think if uh, the KPIs were about performance, we'd probably already be pushing for stuff like outside teaching and that kind of thing. If the if the, the benefits are there and it's obvious and it's documented in research and it's just the you know the bottom dollar that's the the main barrier. Then, why, if we're not doing it already, then I guess the assumption is that that bottom dollar is too much of a barrier for school administrators administrators to sort of I guess take a risk on. I think I think Brock, you're right. I think in a few moments in there, you talked about like different measures, and I, I really believe that if you've kind of got whoever you are, whether it's a school or the system, whatever, has has its measures and, and clearly knows the why of what they're doing and the measures. Because I think, you know, if they were to go down this, you know, more computer orientated and, and sort of these gamified ways of learning, I think that they probably could measure shifts and changes in a positive direction around things like maths and things like um, uh, perhaps reading and, and, and things like that. But if that's what you're measuring, then that's great. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the the outcomes for these kids are what we want for them. Like it, it doesn't mean, you know, I think like we sort of said, uh, you know, um, yeah, uh, there's information overload online. You can find whatever you want. Um, it's, it's more around some of those, those sort of different skills. So, yeah, I think, it, I think in the end it comes back to – what it is your what it is whoever the decision makers are whatever it is that they're measuring is going to kind of inform inform those decisions and if the biggest thing is cost and then the next biggest thing is um, particular skills um, or particular knowledge um, then it's it's entirely possible that we could go down a really tech heavy path but if you're kind of measuring you know fulfillment and and, and well being and um, and you know, ability to kind of solve problems or work as a team, I think you would make some very different decisions. I think coming from a therapist that had never done teletherapy before, had never even had the option to do it. Like I I work in early intervention and we had never even had the capability to do it. Like it has never even been like on the docket for us to do. And then kind of being thrown into doing it in March of this year and in my area, we have been all remote since like the middle of March. And it's been really interesting to watch and kind of see the differences where it works for some kids and it doesn't work for others and it works great for some. And what I've really seen is kind of this positive spin of, yes, we've been able to access our clients during this time, but also moving forward of almost having that hybrid approach of knowing that it is important that we still need to be in person and hands-on and like we're never really going to be able to get away from that, but also being able to utilize remote services when necessary. If a client seems is out of town or if a client is feeling under the weather, but they still want to have therapy, but then you don't run the risk of exposing the therapist or anybody else that's coming. And so it's, I I think for me, I kind of tend to think of it more of can we combine them and and utilize both and still do the in-person, but still also use kind of that remote learning, that remote thinking around it? And Brad, I'd be really curious when COVID first kind of came about and having a nature-based practice, was there a moment that you were not allowed to be in person at all? And how did you navigate that as a practice owner of like, 
did you ever consider doing teletherapy? Did you do teletherapy? Like the very, very beginning of this pandemic, like walk us through kind of what happened in, in your mind as a, as a business owner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think at that point in time, I was um, in part doing my, um, the nature based work and I was still in part doing some clinic work. So um, I, we were really lucky in Adelaide as well. Like we were, um, we, it obviously affected us, but I think there was probably maybe a, a month where we were sort of unable to see people face to face. Um, so I, I did similarly to you, sort of had conversations and we went um, and did, I did do telehealth for um, some of my clients. Um, others, others, we kind of left it alone um, and, and had a bit of a break. Um, but yeah, I think, um, and then, yeah, I was able to jump back in, I guess, particularly to the individual work in nature quite quickly because uh, I, I used to laugh because there was kind of like a, you know, one person per four square metres sort of rule and I, uh, you know, I was, we had one person per like 30 hectares in, in the space where I was working. So, um, um, but yeah, it certainly, um, I certainly probably would have been challenged um, a little bit more if, if that period um, extended um, extended for for longer periods than it did. Um, um, yeah. So the so the telehealth stuff that you did do was it still the same kinds of like I guess modalities that you were doing with your outdoor practice, or did you have to change that as well? Yeah, I, I changed I changed that as well. So um, yeah, we were we, I was doing. Um, so I guess some of the types of activities that we do around kind of, uh, you know, movement and, and some of the different games that we would um, do outside, but generally, you know, just because of, um, I guess the client's access to, to, to tech and, and, and the challenges that came with that, we, we were, um, we were in indoors. Um, and, 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 and yeah, so that was kind of the switch that, that I had to make, um, at that point in time. Um, and again, like I said, um, you know, thinking about it now and thinking about where to from from here. I mean, the I guess the tricky part is probably a heavy part of my work, and I'm moving more and more uh, towards it. Is is groups, which again would be um, quite significantly uh, impacted again if, if things um, if we were hit by COVID um, or anything like that again. Um, so that's. Yeah, again, there are opportunities to do that that in Zoom, but I think the logistic, the the challenge around it is a, a big part of it is the groups that we run is is holding the space um, as therapists. Another the element is kind of the the free play side of things um, and seeing how kids kind of work together and interact. And I just think, yeah, the the, the barriers that um, come with doing those things online is really tough. You know, I think um, if, if it were to come back around again, you know, do some um, creative work around thinking about how it can develop and, and support uh, and provide families with maybe resources and things like that um, to get them up and, and, and out. But I, I did tend to find that more families were going out into these spaces more than than they typically would during this time as well, um, which was which was a positive. I, as these guys know, I'm a huge uh, outdoor person. So every weekend I'm out um, off the grid, I'm like backpacking or camping and stuff like that. And um, it was noticeably, there were so many more people out and we were feeling a little bit protective, like when we come here, nobody's here. So no, but um, I think that has been a positive effect too, is that more people are getting outside. So I, th I think you do see that too. Um I think that probably, you know, what it comes down to with this, because it, it's, um, for me, it's like people think of the, the value and the monetary resources or like the value of your work, but then there's also the value of, um, just the quality of what you're doing. And so I think in this case scenario with say, like trying to do, um, school outside or like your kind of, um, work that you do, Brad, it probably takes a lot of advocacy 
to really promote like, why is this better than putting a kid in front of a computer? Um, and some of the, I was researching because I don't know how many schools in Utah even have this kind of as an option because I think we've been um, not super great at of thinking outside the box here maybe. Um, so I think all everybody here, at least in my area, is doing like the masks and that kind of stuff. Um, but some of the schools that I was reading about actually back east where it's been really a lot more affected they have, uh, like parents have been getting really involved. So they've had parents that have come and like physically built structures outside on the playground. And they had, um, people were donating winter coats and things like that to help make it accessible. And I just thought that was so cool. And so I think not only us advocating the benefits, but also getting some, the community on board of like why this matters. Um, what do you guys think are like the the hurdles for that though? I feel like that's probably like a I don't know, is that a tough thing for you ever to sell, Brad? Like why this kind of practice is more effective than some others? Or like what are ways that maybe we could try advocating in our communities to help bring about positive change? Yeah, I think it is a big advocacy point. I think um We've got we've got a great um, organisation here called Nature Play SA, and and I think there's a few around Australia who have done some really good advocacy work, really around um, you know why why this is beneficial, where where the value lies. Because I think you know there is the huge draw in the fancy and new, and and um, and obviously you've got uh, businesses and companies. Um, Sitting behind the tech, who 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 can sell that? Whereas nature doesn't necessarily have any anyone with big dollars, particularly kind of doing that advocacy work. Um, and I think it looks it kind of looks plain and, and, and simple. And I, I, I um, it, but you can't necessarily see all the stuff that kind of sits behind that and, and underneath that. So I certainly think, yeah, it does need that advocacy work um to kind is of that do. ever hard for you like when you're trying I mean most people probably come to you knowing also like what your background is but I don't know I'd just be curious like if you ever have felt like you've had to really sell what you do and like prove its worth because I see that I I see it and I believe in it but mm. is that ever an obstacle I, for you um like it, it not too much because I think what's happened here is is I guess I've kind of tried to communicate uh, the work that I'm trying to do um, and and what happens is I connect with people that kind of connect with the ideas that I have and so as a result um, I guess they're the people that that link into the service and maybe the ones that look at it and, and, and don't get it just don't connect and and kind of just let it be um so yeah I, i'm wondering whether that's kind of um part of it i guess so i've interestingly i've had quite a lot of interest from homeschool families which um obviously yeah i guess the philosophy behind what i do in the change of environment um away from a kind of clinical space connects with um, with those families who have made decisions to, to homeschool for, for, for various reasons. I wonder if this is something like sort of, I guess, tying this back around to the article, whether or not this is something that inherently OTs get, like they can just automatically go, yeah, this is awesome, like this teaching outside, therapy outside, that kind of stuff. Um, or whether it's something that OTs sort of need to be a bit more convinced because I'm wondering like if there's more OTs on board with the benefits of it, um, then I think being, you know, if those OTs are working in schools or those OTs are starting private practices, et cetera, um, there's going to be, I guess, more I don't know, power in numbers, I guess, to advocate for these kinds of changes to be made. Um, like I'm wondering... I haven't heard of any, but I'm wondering if you may have, Brad, or anyone else, if actually heard of any OTs in schools, besides obviously the lady who wrote this article, um, that has done therapy or pushed for teaching outside or done anything um, with regards to that because I'd be curious to see, like, 
what sort of barriers they may have come up against. Because like I said, the financial thing's one. The other, the other barrier I see, and someone mentioned something before and it made me think of it, is um, I, I, I have many teachers in my family, so I've grown up around the school system in more ways than just being in it. Um, but one of the, the, the big sort of, I guess, attitude, community attitude type barriers uh, I, I've heard of a lot is that sort of parents are like, well, I look after them when they're at home, when they're at school, that's the school's problem. And there's no kind of like... Uh, obviously, if they're homeschooling, it's a very. It sounds like that sort of could be an in on terms of how to convince uh, people that this is a good thing. But I don't know whether sort of teachers. Is, uh, the, it's almost a very us and them between parents and teachers. I've I've heard um, on terms of you know I guess whose responsibility it is to to teach the kids. Speaking mm. from experience again on my part. Uh, and this is when I used to work in the schools as an OT, a lot of the times because we didn't have specific rooms that were designated for OT or for therapy, a lot of the times the therapists were forced outside because that's the only space that we had to work. So I'd be outside on the playground. I'd be outside on the lunch tables. I've treated in hallways, stairways. I mean, you name it. I would go wherever I could go to get some space and to be able to have whatever it is that I needed to address the goals of that kid with. So I think just kind of not on purpose, right? Like if I had a room, I probably would have gone into the room, but I really started to embed a lot of these kind of outdoor type things within my sessions just because that's what we were given. And I know a lot of other school-based therapists, at least in the States, are forced to do a lot of their work outside. So it kind of, I don't know like what comes first, right? Chicken or the egg, but like we start to do a lot of these things outside just because that's what we're given. And a lot of like schools don't want to put funding towards giving us a room or anything like that. So uh, yeah, it's kind of this interesting thing where it's like, now I understand the benefit and I love that I was out there, but it was more like I was kind of forced to be out there because that's really what we were given. Um, I think, yeah, to, to, to build on that, I think, you know, there's, there's value in, you know, I, I know there's a bunch of OTs doing all sorts of things in the Eastern States. There's Sense Rugby who are doing, you know, um, rugby as a therapeutic modality. There's OTs um, doing surfing as a, as a occupation, as a, as a modality. And I guess they're both outdoor examples. But I think, um, you know, there is opportunity and value outdoors, but you know it doesn't necessarily have to um, have to be that that way. So I think, but I think yeah, we can be super creative in terms of thinking about um, yeah, what types of kind of occupations and what types of work and and, and the environments that we do the work in and how that can then uh, cause change and impact for for these clients. And I think you know the clients like I. I get some kids up, up up in my work who are at home in these in the bush essentially, and they're kind of they just straight into it and they love it. And 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 for me, it's kind of supporting this sense of identity because at school they are the bad kid. You know, mm. that's their kind of identity. And and for me, and my role in this space is to yeah build skills and things, but it's also to kind of go, hey, like you know, this is this is cool. Like this is who you are and, and support them to kind of see their strengths in, in those spaces as well. Um, but I, th I think, yes. And I get kids who are like, they need to get them off the screens. And, and so we're trying to kind of support them, I guess, to explore new occupations and, and explore. Um, and I think, yeah, in, in, in all sorts of practices, there's opportunities to do, do both of those, those things. Um, so that, yeah, that was one of the things I was kind of thinking about as, as you were chatting, Brock, um, I want to chat. There was actually another article I stumbled across just across just this week by um, ABC in Australia. It was actually I think on a school in Queensland, and since COVID started, they had been going out into nature far more and into the bush far more. And, and it was the report was about one particular parent whose child is a different child. Like they are no longer getting suspended when they've been suspended like seven times in the first term, and they hadn't sort of been suspended for the next two terms when there'd been this shift his you know thinking about moho his motivation had shifted he, he, it took him 
it was a battle to get ready in the morning at the start of the year since this changed and I guess it's given him more meaningful ways to be at school and, and learn. He's up and getting himself ready in the morning, um, you know, and I think you kind of look at some of those those shifts um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's really too much to kind of uh, push to the side and say that it's yeah. um, not important. Yeah. See, I wonder if, because uh, like I, I know um, Carly and Jesse from Sense Rugby and Amy Blacker from Surfing the Spectrum, and I mean, we've spoken with them in the past, Brad, uh, about like I, as far as I'm concerned, like especially like even just using you three as the example, like that's core occupation based practice, like in its almost purest form, uh, and that's that that stuff is my jam. That's what gets me excited. Um, but I wonder whether there's a lot of OTs that, like I I see, say, you three as the example, as OTs that are turning something that you're passionate about into a therapy practice, into a using that therapeutic medium. And I wonder whether there's a lot of OTs out there that are doing the sort of clinical thing um, purely because that's how it's always been done kind of thing where I think they're almost blunting the the possibilities that this profession has. Um, the second thing I'm wondering, and this is obviously open to anyone, is do you feel that OT probably has more potential to benefit from this working outside than other professions? Just to throw a curveball in there. Ooh, Brock, I like this. I like this. Um, <laughs> um, you can go ahead, Brad, no problem. No, I was just going to say, we had a I had a conversation with a few OTs um, a little while ago um, around kind of nature-based practices and, and sort of this growing idea of kind of, I guess, ecotherapy. And we were sort of chatting about, yeah, I guess being really, because it, it's, it's happening, you know, there's lots of, lots of field psychology, counselling, you know, um, sort of entering into this this space. And I think um, I was, we were just chatting about being really conscious around what is it that we as occupational therapists bring into that space? How are we different to adventure therapy? What, what, do, we, what do we bring rather than just kind of going in and just being like, yeah, you know, there's um, attention restoration theory and all these other kind of theories that that show the evidence and research. It was more around really being conscious around, okay, like what 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 do we what do we bring in? It is you know as you, well, we both sort of touched on. It is around um, occupations and and, and, and um, having that as you know core core work and the and, and the core um, to the therapeutic approach. Really, yeah. Um, Sorry, Michelle. You, no, you're you good. <laughs> no, it's hard to know when somebody's going to talk on here, right? Um, uh, so I actually um, transitioned to another uh, area of practice this year. So I was previously in outpatient um, pediatrics. And then um, right at the beginning of the school year, I transitioned to um, being in a school-based setting. And so it's been a very interesting time to be in a school because it's also the only like this is my experience of like what it's been like because uh, I hadn't worked in a school previously. Um, and Brock, you brought up a really good point because I I hadn't really thought of it, but um, I had this whole skill set from outpatient where I was used to having like a whole therapy gym. And um, when COVID hit, I was going outside with kids and working with them and partially because we couldn't have so many people in the gym. And so I feel like I had this level of creativity and thinking outside the box. But then in starting in my new position, um, it's like my brain reverted back to like, oh, you're like new, the new OT. So I need to like just do it how it's always been done. And I think that's a really common hole that we fall into that when we're when we um, are new somewhere or maybe been there for a really long time, we kind of follow what everybody else is doing and we don't really think outside the box. Um, Like the, what is it? Herd mentality. Like we kind of do what everybody else is doing. And so this conversation has actually been really inspiring for me because I was thinking like, why don't I go outside? (laughs) I don't, you know, I, 
as Sarah was saying, often we don't have a space. So I am really creative with like doing treatment in the hallway or like the stairs of the auditorium or something like that. Like, but, um, I had also never really thought about using like normal nature type things I might find even like outside on a playground. I don't know, you know, cause again, I have my fancy iPad, I have my roller bag that I take with me that has like all the things in it. Um, I got my therapy. No, we can't do therapy anymore, guys. Our whole treatment plans are off. <laughs> they won't let us. <laughs> we can't do it because you can't use it with multiple people. So we really have to get creative. Um, I'm just kidding. But um, but like I have the, all these tools with me that I often don't think of like, what could I do if I didn't have my bag? Like, what would I come up with? And so I don't know. I was just sitting here thinking like I could totally go out on the playground and we could do some like upper body strengthening playing on the monkey bars or like doing chalk on the, on the asphalt outside or, um, like building letters out of, I don't know, whatever I could find on the plate sticks and pine cones and whatever. But, um, yeah, I think that like, I think we all do totally get into that rut where we just like do what is ever convenient and easy and like predictable. So Thank you for calling me out indirectly, Brock. That <laughs> that was helpful. That <laughs> wasn't indirect. <laughs> okay, yeah. you yeah, you definitely <laughs> looked me right in the eye. <laughs> I think what you just brought up right there, Michelle, is really really important because I think a lot of times when we have quote unquote materials or supplies like our therapy supplies, everything, anything that we would use in a session, a lot of times we they almost become a crutch. If you have especially if it's like expensive stuff that you're like, I spent good money on this. There's research behind it, whatever it is. Like I want to use this stuff. And I think, yeah, you're totally right that a lot of times we kind of forget, but like there's a lot of things that you can just use that are out naturally occurring in the environment that you can integrate into your, your therapy sessions and really just work on that exposure. And I think when you were talking, like I, all of a sudden I just started kind of thinking about kids that might have some like sensory sensitivities where they might be cool with like Theraputty or Play-Doh or something because they're used to that in a very kind of sterile clinic environment. But then they walk outside and they see a pine cone and they're like, what is that? That looks spiky. I'm not going to touch that. Right. And like how, how cool it is that we can use these things within our sessions. So then when they're out with their parents or they're out with their friends and they come across a pine cone, they're going to be like, Oh yeah, I've seen that before. Like it's so much more like just like naturally and like organic and engaging for them. So yeah, I think it's just, I don't know, important across the board. I think also even, even just functioning in an environment that isn't like controlled aircon, like there's a breeze, there's all these little things that, we as you know fairly hopefully being able to sensory modulate ourselves fairly easily probably don't even notice when we're walking down the street kind of thing but kids with sensory issues they're the kinds of things that would really bug them or would could really you know shut them down so I think I see and again I've never worked in that practice but just from an outsider's perspective they're the kinds of I guess almost side benefits that I, I feel like um, working outside would actually give people. And I think I kind of got that impression when I did a, a podcast with Amy Blacker about surfing the spectrum and she was talking about all the different um, like side benefits of doing her therapy you know, in the surf. And it's to do with even just the like light resistance pressure of moving in water and that kind of stuff that I just was a, I wouldn't have, most people, if you go for a swim, you don't even think about the fact that it actually takes a little bit more effort to move your limbs when you're underwater because it's, it's subtle, it's small and we're expecting it where, you know, usually we've done it before, we know what it's like, so we don't even have to consciously think about it. But, um, I, I think it's those little things and it's, it's the reason I was saying before, uh, I like about Brad and those other two about being really authentic occupation-based practices we, one of the things that we should be pushing for, and one of the reasons why I hate like kitchens and hospitals and that kind of thing is it's a really artificial environment. And if you're working in a clinic, yes, I can, I'm not shitting on clinics. They have their place and all that sort of stuff. But I think if, 
there is the possibility of being able to work with someone and this isn't even just kids this can be adults anyone there's a possibility of working with them in a more authentic environment which is an environment that they might function in every day like outside um even just being able to tolerate the elements uh then that is a more authentic uh therapy than doing the exactly the same thing inside in a controlled temperature controlled atmosphere room where there's you know there's no there's less sort of traffic noise there don't hear conversations of other people walking past there's no breeze there's no sun shade different temperatures as you walk through them like there's all of those things that you still need to be able to focus and concentrate on what you're doing while all of that stuff is going on around you um i th- think i do wonder and I'm, I'm keen to hear how you manage this brad and it might be a little bit different for you because i have a feeling you do your stuff kind of way out in the in the bush but i wonder whether or not all of those little elements that i just kind of talked about it, it becomes difficult to i guess grade the exposure to that if you're purely outdoors or like how you manage that yeah for sure i, I think yeah, just touching on your sort of the, the clinic conversation. I think, you know, I think as long as you're really conscious around what it's for and, and uh, you know, I think the clinic probably is a clinic because in research um, things need to be a, a really certain way in terms of to show um, to show change. So it needs to be and, and as a result we've kind of replicated that and, and you know, I don't think it always has to to be that way but um yeah it has its place as long as we're really conscious around you know what's it for and we, we're considering you know the environment and you know sometimes in a clinical space to be able to practice things can can be useful as long as there's that support to kind of replicate it in the outdoors um yeah in terms of there's obviously a lot of risk rock in terms of kind of being able to grade things in a way because there's so much um unpredictability about it but i think it's really interesting when you sometimes when things go wrong, that's, that's, that's the, the best time because you can kind of sit with kids in that. You can explore that. You can um, work through those things together in moments where things aren't going right and aren't going well, aren't going as expected. And, yeah, sometimes things do go quite awry. But then there are times where it surprises you. I had a session. Uh, it was an early session. It might have been first or second session um, with a boy and um, it started to rain and I – I remembered, I thought I remembered from the intake, the mum said he can't tolerate showers, doesn't tolerate rain um, and we'd just kind of gone out and we were playing this kind of catching game with these hoops and I sort of checked in with him. I was like, Are you, you know, you're going okay? Um, you're feeling like you want to kind of keep playing? He's like, yeah, yeah, let's keep playing. Um, so we kept on playing and like rain got a bit heavier and heavier and and then sort of got back to the car and said bye and I was like, oh, maybe I like got the wrong kid, maybe you know, that I, I, I got the wrong kid. This wasn't the kid who didn't like the rain. I went and checked. I was like, oh, no, it was. Um, he was the same one. And I think it, I don't know, sometimes it just kind of creates opportunities for things like that where, you know, if you've got a, and I think the same, you know, thinking about Amy's work in the surf, I think when you've got kind of some motivation and and, and a supported, um, supported, um relationship environment uh, uh, around that it's it's with that layering of kind of motivation and intent that we can kind of through an experience kind of shift and change as a as a person and I feel like that's kind of I guess where where my work sits and the work in nature sits um so yeah it certainly doesn't go all kind of peachy and, and and flow really well but I think it's in those moments that lie our opportunities if we're uh feeling like we can kind of sit with those um sit with those experiences with these kids that really cool things can happen yeah i think one of the other kind of practice areas that we haven't mentioned yet and it's something that i have experience in 
and being outdoors and being occupation-based is hippotherapy. And so much of Brad and Brock, what you guys were just saying, I was like, yeah, this is exactly what our clients get exposed to when they are on the horse or near the horses or anything like that. And, you know, they're getting exposed to like changes in going uphill, going downhill and the body position and how that changes as well as like the breeze and the heat their smells, good and bad. There can be like, there'd be times we'd be walking around, there'd be trees. And, you know, we would purposely walk the clients on the horses through with the trees. So they'd get the like light brush or a little bit firmer brush from the branches and all that kind of stuff. But there's all these things that can be happening. And yes, some of it can be controlled, but a lot of it can't be. And another thing that my brain just like keeps going back to is a lot of the visual input when you're in a room, specifically if you're in a room where you can literally see all the four walls from wherever you are, you're never getting, you're never really working on anything extended in your vision, right? You're looking at something that might be 10 feet in front of you or a couple inches, depending on what you're looking at. But when you're out in a field or a beach or something that's like wide open, I mean, you could be spotting something that is miles away, or you could hear something that you might not be able to see. And I think tying that into the technology piece, so often we are so focused on things that are right in front of our face and recognizing the benefit of changing head position to be able to look around and track to different areas. And then also trying to focus on something further away versus closer to us. And I mean, there's just, there's all these things that really just get wrapped up into being outdoor and kind of getting out of that control environment that, yeah, oh, my brain is just like, like thinking about all these things. <laughs> sure. And I think with both areas as well, there's that connection to, to a horse and to an animal um, that is probably really powerful as well. Um, there's this connection you have to kind of um, tune into them and you get to know them and um, yeah and then you kind of build this relationship um, which I, I I don't know the research but I imagine will be kind of a really powerful component of of that work. So I wonder whether like to sort of bring everything full circle I wonder if there's any that we can come up with any kind of I guess almost starting points for therapists that maybe aren't practicing any kind of outside but maybe uh interested in maybe considering it or it's this this episode or something they've read may have piqued their interest in it um because i think the creativity aspect of being an ot is something that's far undersold uh and i do think that it's a big part of this especially this particular topic um because it's not sort of that laid out therapeutic like oh this is the issue i've got this thousand dollar tool that does that it's very much around sort of partly i think that therapeutic relationship that you can build with the person that you're working with be it child adult whoever um, but then also coming up with new creative and authentic ways of being able to engage them in a, a therapy and i wonder whether anyone might have any ideas for someone say in a certain practice area even of how they might go about it obviously i don't think people could just go yes i'm going outside now uh there's going to be some barriers to overcome but does anyone have any ideas on how where where people might start if they were interested in in i guess even incorporating some outdoor type practice into their their work I th- yeah, I think I think there's a there's a few people I think online kind of really um, promoting it and supporting therapists to kind of be creative and um, and find ways to whether it be bring in to the space that they're in or go out. Um, so um, Bronwyn Paintner um, is um, an OT and she has a, a Facebook group um, where she's supporting um and she runs programs as well around um, supporting people to integrate nature into their work so that group might be a really good place to start um, do you remember what it's called because i can't remember what uh, it's the group oh uh i can look it up um and yeah laura park for euro has got one sort of targeted around 
um, working with children as well. Um, so it's, I guess a bit of a community of people sharing ideas in both of those spaces. So um, Laura's is called Therapy in the Great Outdoors and um, Nature OTs is Bronwyn's one. So they, they might be um, some good places to start. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think also thinking about, yeah, what what um, what – OT is for in the role and the context that you're working in is is really important to kind of, um, like you said, Michelle, kind of reconfigure to make sure that you're kind of not just doing it because it was done, but reconfigure and kind of work out, um, you know, is there, are there other ways that we can kind of go about this? Um, and I think also, yeah, I guess really tuning into the client and, and, and delving into kind of what's, um, meaningful to them and, and trying to tap into that I, is uh, is is going to be a really valuable um, way to start exploring those things. But yeah, I think you know bringing natural resources into into the into the clinic um, can be a really um, kind of easy way to start um, without kind of you know throwing everything out the window, like you said. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's. I don't know if anyone else got anything to add. If that's um, really answered the question, but I was also going to throw out because I know you mentioned Laura Park Figueroa, and she has a book as well, and it's called Therapy in the Great Outdoors: A Startup Guide to Nature-Based Pediatric Practice. So there's another kind of resource too, and I believe there's a bunch of different activities to kind of get you started within, like working in the outdoor space. I think a big part would be also obviously knowing your area. Obviously, sometimes the weather doesn't permit you to maybe do something outside. And in those instances, yeah, okay, cool, maybe do it inside. But I think that from my perspective, there's probably even just little things like open a window, like so you can get some of that sort of outside noise and a bit of breeze, that kind of thing. Um, uh, It's still, I, I see it almost as like a spectrum where there's like, fully outdoors and then fully clinic and you find yourself somewhere in the middle there and you're sort of aiming towards, um, you know, barriers permitting, aiming towards one end or the other. Uh, But, yeah, I think some of the activities, like the creative uh, delivery of activities, like we talked about earlier, I think can still be implemented inside, like in a clinic space, uh, you know, if you're not able to get outside or you don't have any sort of outdoor space to actually utilize, um, you know, like you said, bringing some of like, if you want to, for example, like the article is talking about, like teach something like say teach math, bring in some sticks and rocks and whatever else and see if you can run your activities a little bit more creatively and maybe less techie if it's possible. Um, uh, I, not just for this kind of thing, but like say for sensory mod in my mental health practice when I was working as a, a, an OT in mental health, um, was very much, originally when it rolled out, it was very much around the sensory tools and everything was super expensive and there was specific sensory tool shops that opened up that you could buy a $900 beanbag from and crap like that. Uh, and for me, it was very much around, well, what can I do that's... Uh, like what can I use around the person's home that they actually have access to when they leave this therapy service so that they can actually continue some of the work that we've done here in the inpatient unit. Um, And I think thinking outside of that box and not getting caught up in the, this is how it's done. This is how it's always done sort of mentality uh, can help. Cause I think if you are able to identify, you know, a deficit or something that needs working on with someone, then I can guarantee if you, come up with if you put your head to it you can probably come up with five or six ways that you can work with that person um not just the oh this is what the textbook says so i I think being able to train it that's something that takes training creativity isn't always a natural thing that comes to people but being able to train that creative brain as a therapist is something that's super valuable and the clients are going to benefit from it and then even the, the, the act of as, you know, as you go out and collect 
um, resources if you can't do that with your with your client or you don't have space to the act of you know mindfully going to collect resources from a park or a creek is um, good for you as well. Yeah, you you get the benefits of this as well. That's the best part is it it makes your life better. I don't know if I have anything else. I think I kind of said mine. I think I'm going to challenge myself. Um, this in these next coming weeks, it's getting cold here. So I don't know how much that I want to do outside, but I think just reminding myself to think outside the box a little bit. And I think that even uh, this conversation has made me really think about what these kids are experiencing all day. And, but it's hard because I, that's what I see all the time. And so I forget like, Oh yeah, this isn't normal. Like, they're sitting in a chair all the time. They're wearing a mask. They can't even like go and mingle in certain areas. I think sadly it's become a little bit of a, a norm to me. Um, and so I think I'm going to challenge myself to um, just kind of maybe break down one thing like, okay, the kids have been just sitting upright all, all day. What can I do posturally that's going to be like putting them in a different position for handwriting? Like, can we do some stuff in prone or can we um, do some stuff in standing or um, like what other creative things can I do instead of just always reaching for something in my bag that's like pre-made and makes it easy for me to come up with a treatment? Um, so yeah, I think that these conversations are always refreshing. It makes you kind of reevaluate how you're showing up and how we can show up in different ways. So I will send pictures of the sticks I collect. <laughs> if everybody could just send a little nature photo of the items. Yeah, that Michelle would be needs great. inspiration. So <laughs> any of your nature therapy ideas, tag her in it. Wouldn't that be awesome? Instagram. It's like these random like items. Like just this is what I did rocks, therapy yeah. with today. It would be cool. I love cool. that. I um yeah, I, I used to bring sticks in and we'd do whittling with a knife in, in, in the clinic place to work with and have to work clean up a mess of all these kind of like whittled bits of wood all over the carpet floor. <laughs> and then yeah, people See, would be like, Brad's been were, here. Yeah. If you are outside, you could just leave them. Yeah. The benefits. <laughs> awesome well brad thank you so much for for coming in it's been really enlightening and yeah i can't can't thank you enough whereabouts can people find you online if they want to check out your, your business your work etc yeah for sure so um i'm on facebook and instagram um at naturally gathered and yeah if you want to flick me an email um it's just brad at naturally gathered.com.au so um yeah i'd love to love to hear from anyone who's who's curious or who's who's doing similar work um and yeah i guess encourage kind of everyone to um i guess think critically about about their their work and um generally but as well as um thinking about how nature might be able to be um, a part of that and how you know it might offer value to to some of your clients um in the work that you're doing Awesome. And we'll throw all those links in the show notes. Sarah, where can people find you? You're muted. You can find me at otforlife.com. Beautiful. And Michelle, also muted. I keep freezing. (laughs) This is the nightmare we knew was going to happen. Wait, did you're frozen, Brock. Okay. Oh, wait, you're back. Okay. I'm going to say it quick and hope I'm not frozen. <laughs> Incorporatemindfulness.com. <laughs> and you can find me at occupiedpodcast.com. Uh, if you found this information enlightening, inspiring, confusing, whatever it is, uh, like, share it with a friend. Uh, feel free to get in contact with any or all of us if you have any questions, queries, uh, anything like that. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can head over to the otroundtable.com. And thanks for hanging out with us today. 